With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone. Before we get going, uh, I just wanted to say two things. Uh, Firstly, this podcast is normally meant to be for patrons. Patrons. (laughs) Patrons only, I can't even speak. Uh, I can't say it anymore. Patreon people only, people who pay for the Patreon. Um, but I wanted to put it on the main podcast and the main feed for two reasons. Uh, firstly, is because uh, I think it's a great conversation. Uh, but secondly, more importantly, the person who it is with, and that is with George V AFC. Uh, George is joining the podcast permanently. Um, we're really, really happy about that. We've added him uh, uh, permanently on a permanent deal. We've got the deal over the line although it is uh, subject to the completion of regulatory processes, of course. Um, but yeah, we, we've got George on board. I uh, hope you'll agree that he's a fantastic addition. He is a wonderful uh, sort of mind in terms of the technical side of the game, sort of the coaching side of the game, um, and can really add a sort of area of expertise. He's also Canadian, an overseas fan representative of that. Um, and yeah, I think the dynamic will really, really work. Um don't worry, this will never become a boring, technical, you know, kind of podcast. It will always be rooted in fun and always rooted in friendship. Um, and yeah, love of the game. Uh, but we just felt as though there was a space for a slightly more um, technical view of the game. Um, and having some representation of overseas would be really good. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in these types of conversations, if you want more of this kind of stuff, then please sign up at patreon.com forward slash Uh But otherwise, this main podcast will always be free. And you'll see us after Brentford. Enjoy. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Welcome back to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast, bonus podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friend, I'm delighted to say, a brand new permanent member of the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. It is the one, the only. you got to say your name. George V. <laughs> yeah, we need to work out oh. how to do it. Yes. Because at the moment we've got a pretty slick, like, my very good friend, Bradley Adams, um, but we're going to have to get like a Bradley Adams and George V or something. <laughs> Yeah. Or maybe we do like a, maybe I get a theme tune. I also I, think like the beginning of podcasts are the most redundant thing ever. I I, I have a crisis every time because people go, oh, how are you? As if they haven't just had a whole conversation in the waiting room. A hundred percent. And then 
no one is ever going to say, oh, mate, yeah, I had a shit day. You were just like, yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> it's just pointless. <laughs> it's literally pointless. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you do that too, like even in public when you say like, hi, how are you? And you don't really want like a full answer. Like, yeah, well, yeah, you yeah. know, like, uh, I was having a tough time today, but, you know, we work through it. And you're like, oh, no, mate, like I just wanted to like be polite. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't actually care. Yeah, we move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, do you know what that is? I, I learned this the other day. Fatic language. There we go. We're all learning together. P-H-A-T-I-C. Fatic language. Essentially language that doesn't actually really convey much or isn't meant to hold much meaning. So it's stuff like, how you doing? Yeah. See you later. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you don't actually mean you will see them later on today. But it's like, it's like that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. And you can also use it in the context of like empty or meaningless words. So if someone's speaking to you, you're like, this is fatic language. There you go. So some, hopefully we don't. Word of the day. Word of the day. <laughs> Fucking hell, we've got word of the game, word of the day. <laughs> uh, patrons, I hope you're as excited as I am for George to join the podcast because he's a fucking great guy, great dude, and uh, it's just a good vibe. And as I explained in the um, post announcing it, I think George will add so much to the podcast, but we'll we'll get you a, we'll get you a full sort of testimonial on the main podcast on uh, on Sunday, and we'll get you we'll get you signed up. Have you got have you got your new kit? Yeah, oh, absolutely, and I can't wait for my carpool. Um, you know, okay. little spot moment. <laughs> with Fruma, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with We can talk about my favorite joke in a bar or something. He likes to do. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> great stuff. Great stuff. Have you got a good joke? Put it on the spot. I I have none. I'll be honest with you. I am so dead with jokes. Um, I, I'm a big reuser of like movie lines if I can get away with it, and people don't realize okay. like an old Fresh Prince line. Like one one of those that I could probably get into. <laughs> I don't think I've ever watched an episode of Fresh Prince. I know the one. I know they do the dance. Really, the Carlton <laughs> dance. That's about it. And I know the theme tune. <laughs> so easy to make you laugh, George. It's the it's the best vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I just like mention something you like, oh. and you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's get on with it. Let's fucking do it. Um, So what are we going to do today? We've got a number of things we wanted to talk about um, just as a kind of midweek bonus podcast. We want to talk about uh, the city allegations. We want to talk about the United News with the Qatari investments. We want to possibly get onto Liverpool, Jesus, Brentford, all sorts of stuff. But of course, the big news is the Premier League has charged Manchester City with more than 100 breaches of its financial rules following a four-year investigation. Uh, it's referred the club to an independent commission over alleged rule breaches between 2009 and 2018. And it's also accused City of not cooperating, cooperating since the investigation started in December 2018. Easy for me to say. Um, where do we start? I mean, I... Well, stuff's come out today that this is going to take two to four years, which I think obviously mm. puts a timeline on it and puts a uh, puts a perspective on it that this is not something that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, as I said, I forget at some point, but I haven't said on this podcast yet, so I'll, I'll reuse my I'll reuse my analysis. The things that jump out to me are the fact that the independent regulator is coming into football um, and the timing of it and how uh, how that's going to happen the impact of this possibly on the Super League uh, in terms of mm. whether City, you know, for example, as I think, uh, you know, whether say City, Chelsea and Liverpool all don't get in the Champions League this season or, or at some point in the, in the future, say a number of those kind of Super League-esque teams weren't going to get in the Champions League. 
what's to stop them just breaking away and go, look, fuck it, this is the time for the Super League and that's it, you know, and and, and kind of appeasing fans that way. So that's a concern with knock, docking them with points and that sort of stuff. You don't want that many teams outside the Champions League. Um, and also, I, I feel like this might be the tip of an iceberg. So there's three um, possibly un, uh, un, un, unvalid points that I'm going to give to you and hope you make something out of it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> serve great <Ace>. first- <laughs> <laughs> great hosting just go for it eh? okay well, well okay. so you know what um how how do i feel about it generally in terms of i guess um you're looking at kind of the whole idea of a competition and rules like you know i really think that when i have a look at that one clip that arson wenger was going around in terms of essentially i think the biggest issue is this dishonesty from the rules because when you tear it back down there's two major models of sustainability in air quotes, um, let's say, right? So you've got A, this idea that clubs will um, create revenue and you can use that revenue to buy players and do whatever you want with it. That is the one traditional form that we have belabored KSC for basically forcing us to do for so long. Then you've got this idea that with whatever turnover that you make from revenue that you can use to buy players, you can then add an ownership amount of money inside of it. And then that's why you get these state ownership revenue models with owners. Now, Um, I think the biggest debate has been on the other end of the spectrum where how much of that owner injection are you allowed before people go up in arms? (laughs) And then from that point, um, how do we decide um, we're going to put a cap on that? Or if we should, that's been the big moral debate from it. Um, Because I feel as though when you talk about uh, venture capitalists, it's all dirty money. So I think getting into the nitty gritty about how an owner achieved their wealth is pointless because at the fundamental core, greed is crime and crime is greed. And so, you know, ultimately one cannot go without the other and you're going to have to get your hands dirty to get to that level. So talking from a moral standpoint, I feel as void. they're all crooks. <laughs> I try sometimes. Um, but, um, you know, I think beyond that, for me, it's always been about finding that proper balance between what percentage of owner injection seems reasonable that we can kind of understand how teams can have that free market. Because I do uh, kind of go with the assumption that I don't believe to break into the top six, um, you can do it purely from turnover and revenue. I don't believe that a Brentford or a Brighton can consistently compete with a top four traditional team without a little bit of injection, without a little bit of luck, without something going right. They may be able to do it for a season. We've seen a Leicester, which was a dream story. But in terms of consistently competing at the top, that is going to be difficult to do for a team that's not of the traditional top six. So I do want to kind of open that possibility because then it does become, in essence, what you talked about, a Super League, really just by virtue of closing who can achieve that economic limit. Now, um, what is that number? What is that percentage? I don't know. I feel as though something along the lines of um, something over 50% shouldn't be allowed, something like that where we assign a percentage over turnover. That to me makes sense as a sort of soft cap to the league so that you can't do per se um, you know, what City have done, which is like nine years of breaches. Like I just don't think... Um, there's a limit, right? Like there's a limit to breaking the rules and then there's just scrapping the rules, right? Like it's almost, my analogy is kind of like, look, I cheated on one answer. I wrote down two or three, um, you know, questions or I got the answer log sheet and got perfect on the test score. (laughs) To be able to do that for um, so long seems a little bit ridiculous and it does open up a lot of questions because, mate, I don't know how you feel with state ownership 
becoming more of a thing. And we'll talk about the United going down the line, Liverpool, Newcastle. This isn't going away. If anything, it's becoming a lot more prevalent. So understanding to have these safeguards seems like a conversation we should be having and football will be having very soon, despite these um, public charges just coming out like a week ago. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think this conversation is going away. And I certainly don't think this is something the average football fan should ignore or be um, be be brushing under the carpet as a kind of an, something, conversations that should just happen in boardrooms and we, we don't get, get to say on it. I suppose my big feeling about this is is ultimately the, the the big question is you know we on sky it'll be you know or oh, what have city been charged for da, 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 sort of beating around the bush and then the final question will come ultimately okay but what are the ramifications people really want to know how our city going to be punished and so i think like uh, i'll come back to that that question about ownership and and how um how that should be structured in a second because i think it's 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 fellow ground but I just think that the Premier League essentially have a branding issue at this point in terms of they have two con- almost conflicting issues in that Man City are and and the the way their ownership is structured at the moment is is good for the Premier League brand. I mean, it ultimately is. It means that players like Erling Haaland can come to the Premier League and score as many goals as he has. It means that they can pay Pep to come to the league. It means they can pay, you know, they can invest in academies. They can invest in world-class talent to run those academies. They can, you know, it's, 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 ultimately it's turnover and it's, um, you know, however that's structured and whether they're cooking those books or not, ultimately they're, they're able to, to fund it. So that's a, that's a branding issue and they don't want to, cap that too much because it's got the Premier League brand to where it is. I imagine there's outside people like La Liga and Serie A and all those sorts of places who want to, who will be looking at that and going, you know, how can we take advantage of this? But that's slightly a side conversation. But then they've got another problem on the other hand of the branding issue where they can't be seen to be letting these people run free. So I, I, I think those two things can't be separated and I think they will go hand in hand. I think that's why We'll get to a point where City, you know, two, three years down the line, conversations change very, very quickly in football. And I imagine this will be a short press release. City have, you know, been fined 10 million or whatever, you know, whatever it ends up being. There'll be there'll be a fine. There'll be everything they can possibly do to not affect things like relegation and 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 points. I just can't see that happening because money talks. Money talks, and uh, what was your thing? Greed is whatever, and what is it? What was your greed is crime, and crime is greed. <laughs> oh baby, greed is crime, and crime is greed. That's the title of the podcast. <laughs> done, but you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I just think, I just think, like, I can't see it. I can't see it happening that way. And then to come back on your point on on ownership, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't really necessarily have a take on that. I, I, I I'm not a financial financial guy. I think there needs to be um, stringent FFP rules. But but the, the problem is, is, it's like anything. The tax code has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And yet there's loophole after loophole found every single year. <laughs> so you don't think Premier League lawyers and Premier League, even if they're not breaking the laws, they'll be finding loopholes or whatever and they can close that. But then that wording of that will change that and shift that and meaning of that. So we're going to be running this race against these clubs year after year after year. I actually think the saving grace is that I do think sustainability will become um, more important for, important in football as clubs 
like the Manchester Cities, if you look at the way they're run in terms of they're not spending 300 million every summer, they're they're selling well and they're investing well and they're buying at the right time. They're not having to do the the kind of the Todd Burley January window type of stuff. And it's giving them prolonged success. So I think that will be the aim and the, and the model moving forward because, you know, and perhaps this, this slightly shift is onto the Man United conversation as well, but it doesn't bother me. Like, okay, United get a Qatari owner. What are they going to do? Spend hundreds of millions of pounds they've already done that <laughs> so it, it doesn't it doesn't change anything like it and 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 the brand is so strong that you know the the the, the, prop, the question is you know if if a qatari um uh or a, or otherwise uh ownership model wanted to come into another premier league club or come to a lower league club yeah that's another competitor but with united i just think well they've already got the money so you know anyway that's a lot there no, but, um, i had a i had a lot of I had a lot of similar antipathy with a United-specific example because I had the same thoughts as you. They've spent a ton of money. Spending money has not been a problem in Manchester United. It's how they have spent that money. That has really been it. And I'll be honest, I don't see a change in the decision makers that makes me scared or confident that they can return You know, with that you know, extra cash, so to speak. Because I don't think Manchester United have ever approached a transfer and said, okay, that is too much. In fact, they typically no. come, we will give you whatever you want. Johnson Moore, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been the opposite. So I don't, I, I don't see that as particularly threatening. Um, but the one thing is, I always lean into is, look, it's not really United that we should be worried for. It's not really even Tottenham or a big six that we should be worried for. In my mind, I'm thinking, do somebody look at something like a Brighton, an interesting project that right now is potentially fighting for Europe, and down the line says, listen, I want to make a story and an impact in this huge money machine that is the Premier League, because I'm having a look at it. Everybody else is filled with top state owners. And let's assume that there's only so many to go around. We're going to start picking up different competition. Now, the argument becomes, is that good? Like, do we always want a Super League-esque kind of thing with just the top six? Probably not. But I think when you start opening that pool and you set the precedent for more state owners, you're going to have to start getting comfortable that ultimately you're going to run out of teams where those state owners can occupy. And it's going to be beyond the big six and you're going to be looking at other competition. And so does that worry people? It doesn't worry me from a standpoint of competition. But what does worry me is this idea that maybe you can have a Chelsea-esque year where you've broken the individual transfer record consecutively. As in, the summer was a transfer record in terms of money spent by one club. January was an even further record, and Chelsea did it twice in two years. So I'm starting to think, look, that turnover is far too much that I'm comfortable with. Like, And maybe that's hypocritical because then you're saying, well, George, if you're comfortable at it being even at a lower level, in theory, shouldn't you be at a higher level? Well, for me, that skips a lot of steps. That breaks the rules of competition. That's why I kind of have this weird theory that we have to assign a percentage on top of revenue. Like there needs to be a cap. I don't know what that is. But to me, it seems like breaking multiple individual transfer records or even the fact that Chelsea on their own spent more than all of La Liga did in the January trend. That worries me. Like if that becomes a normal thing, it's beyond just rising the tide in all the boats um, kind of thing where that argument becomes more money in means more money trickle down to lower leagues. I mean, yes, but it becomes a little bit substantial, you know, with one club dominating that um, and one particular group of teams benefiting. Yeah, and no, I, I don't buy the it will trickle down thing. <laughs> I just don't. I, no. I just don't. Um, yeah, 
God, yeah. I mean, I, I also am concerned. Well, let's do let's do the state ownership thing first. I think, firstly, key point to make as well is is there's a there's a slight sort of chargedness I feel to the state ownership thing. Um, all all of these guys, the Cronkies, the Glazers, like they're all in the same boat. But if we're starting down the road of, well, these guys are bad because of this, then we can go down that road with every single person. So I think, as you say, we're just going to have to start getting comfortable with with the fact that we've allowed anyone to buy a club and that's what we're going to do. And that's, that's free market capitalism. And whether you agree with it or not, that's up to you. But I think... Um, I think the the big concern for me is more around because sustainability. I think, as I say, will be a will be a bit, be a bigger thing in football. Ultimately, it's the best football ideas usually have the best success. So that's that nothing changes from you know the earliest days of you know kicking a hacky sack around. Like you know that doesn't change. Um, you know, okay, money helps, but we we do know the sustained success comes from doing getting things right, and that doesn't always mean money. Um, so I think that's that's always going to be a tempering thing. Um, but I am more concerned, I, I would suppose, about the football ecosystem that we're creating. And I think there's going to have to be some conversations at some point about how we're how we're working within the realms of, you know, if we're looking at the, the spending of the, of the Premier League against La Liga and Serie A, it's like, it reminds me of this Bo Burnham, do you know Bo Burnham? Oh my God, I love him. What a comedian. You know, straight white man where he says, we used to have all the money in land and we still do, but it's not as fun now. I feel like we're going to get to that point with the money in the Premier League because it's going to be like, we can only sell to Premier League clubs because they're the only ones who have any money. We can buy from everywhere else, fine, but like there's only going to be two or three clubs producing talent that is worth anything at that point. Do you know what I mean? So like... I, I just think it's it's not healthy to have one, you know, I think we can still position ourselves as the Premier League and the Premier League in in uh, in Europe. Haha. <laughs> um but I yeah, I do worry about the sort of the the rising disparity between the leagues. That's that's a concern for me. Well, yeah, and I mean ultimately when you do have a look at it, the quality of the football is really what everybody's asking for. And and I think that a big reason that let's say the Super League fell down was this idea of a fair competition. I think ultimately, like when you have a look at it, as much as people don't want to say it, the basis for a Super League is that you're going to be having the best teams in the world compete against each other. And those are the most popular games. Now, I'm not going to lie, kind of subscribe to that idea. I don't think people are as stringent on, you know, uh, Moldova versus Manchester United. Uh, being like a massively great game. I think we love the quarterfinals. I think we always love the Champions League for those games. And so in theory, I get the idea that people like the big teams to face off against each other. That That's normal to me. What I think a lot of people were opposed to was this idea that a Leicester could never do it. And I think I suppose when we have these rules, there's this fairy tale that that workmanlike ability to achieve success is there. And if you take away the ability for a club to do that or the fairness, which for me is just as bad as financial doping. If you end up having state ownership across the league, the top clubs that have that state owner are going to have a monopoly on the league. Like it just, it will happen, period, because they end up having more money. They end up being able to make decisions quicker, faster. Mistakes get rerouted a lot quicker. And it doesn't take the same amount of time as say a club that is under financial constraint to do so. So, um, you're going to have that. Now, how much of that are we as a fan base and fans globally willing to accept? How much of that 
fake free market, in air quotes again, are we willing to accept? And I think that has to be the line that we decide as fans, because um, it's going to get there. And this idea of more people being um, open to kind of state ownerships means that more clubs are going to be into that model. So then the worst of that model is essentially the Chelsea effect, where you're getting two windows of 600 million pounds spend. Um, again, it's the first step in that world, right? Like, it's not that Chelsea are horrible for doing it, but they've opened the door. And once you open Pandora's box, you're not closing that thing. So more and more teams and more and more clubs are going to be looking to that model in a case of FOMO, in a sense, that I don't want to be left behind. Very much where I think this theory where, you know, Josh got a lot of flack for saying, look, I signed because the thought of a Super League without Arsenal was worse than no Super League happening. Um, and that was really the crux of that argument. And I know he got slated, but you're going to end up having that conversation with state ownerships regardless, because that free market is not going to be there. Hmm. Yeah. And I think the only thing we can do as fans is, is, is stay engaged and stay in the conversation and, and, you know, watch how it plays out. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, the product of what it is, the Premier League is a really good place. Okay. There might be fluctuations in between seasons where people say, oh, this is the least competitive season because my team's not doing very well. Like you might think that, but in terms of overall in the picture of uh, European football, the Premier League is, a, is an, a, an amazing place. I guess the, the fear is always, is that going to end? Um, and at the moment where, you know, let's, let's try and stay present, but we also need to be be aware of those of those concerns. And I think you raised some some great points. Well, I'm glad we fixed that. That's solved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's his name? Infantino's. He's listening and he's going, oh, these guys, honestly. Uh, <laughs> um <laughs> Liverpool, George. When a, different, when, a different, when a different knock knocks, it is a different knock. I think. I think that's what Raul was really referencing. You know, when, yeah, yeah. When he yeah, was yeah. transfers. <laughs> that's really what he's saying. Yeah. Um, Doctor George, diagnose what's mm. happening with Liverpool this season. Oh gosh, um, that's that's a deep disease. That's deep rooted. Um, uh, and has really been coming. Um, you know, look, I didn't, I didn't know that it would come this season, but I have been somebody, if anybody has seen my Twitter, I have been low key saying, I'm worried about Liverpool. I didn't like the idea. If you had really analyzed what was happening before this happened with Klopp in this season, slowly they started letting go a lot of their big heads and departments, their sports science guy left. They've rechanged that. Um, their data analytics got rerouted. Then the big one, Michael Edwards, who for me is the best sporting director in world football, gone. Um, those are big, big, big pillars. And um, when you don't replace that um, with at least somebody of equal competency or in the realm with equal competency, then you start to really fracture your chair. Um, and when you, if you really look at it, look, one chair can go down. So you can maybe take away a sports medicine department. No problem. As long as everything else is maintained, the chair will stand. When you take out three, the structural integrity of that chair is gone. And I just fear as though that Liverpool have lost the structural integrity of what has made them great. And really, that is the structure of their midfield. Um, I think that that has been um, neglected for far too long. I think when you have big players leave your club, which Gini Wildeham for me was the start of this decline. When you have a player of that quality leave your club, that's not a big deal. You made a fine decision to do it. But what you didn't make was a good decision replacing that player. 
Now, you don't have to do it like for like. Now, you can definitely change systems. And I do believe that Klopp has entered the season um, attempting to go with it a different way. I think with the buying of, you know, Darwin Nunez, it spoke to a very different Liverpool system. But one thing that I've always said is do not go away from your club culture. Go, what has made you great? And, you know, go back to what has made you great. And what has made Liverpool great? A, a workman-like midfield um, that lets their forwards do the what they love to do, ultimately. Um, a very fervent press, a very energetic team, and a team that probably has a lot of personality more off the ball than on it, necessarily. Not to say that they weren't horrible, you know, on the ball. They were excellent on the ball. But um, their entire fear factor was that suffocating press. Now, um, why go away from something that has made you so successful? I'm not too sure. I, I, it was always something that made me upset with Arsenal, to take it back to us, to be honest with you, in terms of our history. Um, the whole idea about, you know, our invincibles and what that culture was in terms of the profile player we did and then transitioning to what we recruited was difficult. And so for me, I feel, look, there's multiple ways to win, but I don't think there's multiple ways to win within a club. I've always felt that the most successful teams of each club have played to the fabric of what's made them successful. And so for Liverpool, for me, they have not been able to supplement um, what's made them successful in the past. And that really has to do with their midfield. You know, I, I had a look at Genie going, Yunus Musa, even if you want to go into the idea of sustainability, that type of profile of player existed on the market. Amadou Haidarwa, um, you know, Kone from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Like there are prospects within budget that could have replicated some of what made them great. You know, you look at James Milner, you do look at Henderson back in his pomp. Um, you do look at Genie Wijnaldum. Like what was that midfield? What do you describe them? And, you know, for me, it's players that look, they have technique, but let's be fair. They are players that plug holes that are fast, energetic, springy players that allow other people that are great to do what they know how to do, and that's score. Um, take that away, and you're looking at a very shell-ravaged team right now um, that isn't allowing Trent Alexander-Arnold or Mohamed Salah, their kind of bigger talents in the squad, to shine. Um, and they're trying to repurpose players that they've bought that, for me, aren't in the Sané mold, who did leave and was a huge, massive uh, departure and you know you're getting Darwin Nunez, Cody Gakpo, um, Luis Diaz, very different profile of players. It's been a completely different attacking formation. And and like I said before, there's not one way to win, but I do feel that for clubs, um, there's a particular way that clubs have had success in the past. And um, I'm a big fan of keeping that in place as much as you can. Make Liverpool great again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Jurgen like Klopp is such a loser. Oh, geez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood. Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana.
<laughs> well, what do you think, mate? Because I think for me, like, I think the drop off is beyond. Um, look, I think um, we've bought poorly. And, um, you know, I, I think the drop off to go from where they were, which was title challengers. And, and by the way, in the summer, I don't think people said this is a mid table team. I, I think you would have been laughed off the park yep. for believing. I, they, they were um, second in my in my predictions. I, th- I think your 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 uh, your doctor's prescription is correct. I think. Do you know what it reminds me of a little bit? It's like when bands get successful a little bit, and um, I think sometimes what happens is they they're successful in the first instinct for something like they might have a really let's say they have a really like edgy vibe to them and like people really like the fact that they like all like smoke on stage and they like drink wine and like they all like have banter and fight each other or whatever and then like they get a bit successful they get bigger and they start going oh okay we got the money we got the budget we've got we've got some clout now we can start fucking showing off let's add some fireworks to our show let's add some fucking yeah, let's get some nice new guitars let's like you know start you know stop drinking and start you know taking our job seriously and that sort of stuff and they lose the essence of what the band the reason people like the band and i think it's kind of what's happened there is they've basically gone through they've almost like you know got to champions league finals and got to premier league winning level and what was it 99 points in that season with a midfield that you know it's pretty boring on paper. It's not like it's not a it's not a FIFA midfield. It's a workhorse midfield. It's a midfield that is a functional midfield and makes them makes them work. And I think what's happened with the adding of Thiago, with the adding of um, with people like Harvey Elliott coming in, is these are beautiful technical players, players who you know personally I love. I think are really really good. But what they do is not the same thing. And they add them in going, you know, we're, we're Liverpool. We can add in a Thiago. You know, this gives us a different thing. If you don't understand what's got you there, which I'm sure Klopp does to a degree, but I think he's kind of maybe understated or un- misunderstood perhaps how important that that core is to them. And, you know, when, when you're looking at that mid- Liverpool midfield in, say, 2020, 2021, you're thinking, oh, can they add something in the, mid- in the midfield? And that's what I would have done. You know, is there something? Is there something a bit more flary? I wondered whether they wanted a more of a goal-scoring midfielder, or something. You know, not necessarily a, a traditional ten or anything like that, because that wouldn't fit in their system. But you know, an eight who can who can arrive late or whatever it is. That's what I would have done. But it feels like they've they've almost ripped the heart out of it. They've taken the pride out of it, Gazudis. And then what that does is people like Trent and like Salah suffer, and I think that's what's happened. Well, here, you know what? I think a beautiful debate that kind of summarizes it. Whenever I talk with Liverpool fans, I I always get this kind of pushback because I always get asked, listen, from a marquee perspective, who do you want? Jude Bellingham is the uniform signing. And I go, okay, let's put away the feasibility argument and just look at the profile of player that you've got in Jude Bellingham right now. Could I ask you guys, why don't you want Federico Valverde? Let's ignore the feasibility of it. But tell me why Jude Bellingham makes more sense for Liverpool Football Club than a Federico Valverde does right now. And it's not about the team. Because, honestly, it's, it's, it's perception. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. And look, uh, I get it. You want the superstar, but what has made you successful? And I always like to argue, look, a Jude Bellingham, gorgeous player. I'm not going to sit here and say, raise my eyebrows at a Jude Bellingham, you know, with my ivory tower here. But I'm just concerned. Are you fixing what is broken right now? Is what is broken necessarily you going to get that extra goal or two from midfield? Um, are, are you dependent on goals necessarily from one player and you want to spread them out a bit more? 
Um, do you need a little bit more possession and tempo control as if Tiago Alcantara doesn't do that for you? Like, I do think that sometimes coaches, great coaches, by the way, can get caught up a little bit in the perception of their own club. And um, I've seen it with one of the greatest men I know in Arsene Wenger, who is still my major footballing idol. I will not forget that. Um, but if the best man I know and the most philosophical, emotional man I know can sometimes lead himself um, down a path that he doesn't realize how damaged it is and perspective becomes difficult, you need somebody that he considers an equal to challenge that view. And I feel Michael Edwards was that guy. He was the only one that in a room Klopp could accept has the gravitas to challenge him. And I'm always very cognizant of that in a football club in general, where when somebody has so much power, and by the way, it's a fear I do have with Mikel Arteta here at Arsenal. It absolutely is. I love the man. I think he is so, so good. But there's going to come to a point, we all do. We're not perfect. We have flaws. And we're going to make a mistake. And we need to have somebody in the room that we admire and respect who will challenge us. And it's how that friction becomes gold, ultimately. And that pressure is what cooks diamonds. You know, It's not the fact that we just let it go. Um, and you let that one mineral do its work. It requires something beautiful and a little bit of friction to make. And so I don't know if getting rid of the one think tank person in Liverpool Football Club that could have challenged Klopp with guaranteed success was the smartest thing to do, um, especially from a Klopp that is reeling. I don't think you do big structural change when you're in transition. Ideally, as ironic as it is, you do it when you're winning. And in fact, one of the biggest things that I can give Sir Alex Ferguson is the fact that he knew when to change. He knew when that rebuild time was. Um, and it wasn't necessarily when the team was down. It was, in fact, when the team was flying. And he loved to introduce friction. And I don't know. I think that's part of the reason in combination with that, you know, soul sucking analogy of, um, you know, them not going back to what their roots were. I think you make some really astute points specifically about Ferguson and, you know, <laughs> I, um, I got, <laughs> I said on the podcast once that I genuinely wouldn't mind someone like Roy Hodgson coming in as an assistant manager to Mikel. Now I got absolutely ridiculed, but I will stand by it. And I, maybe he's not the right guy. I'm not saying that, you know, sort of part time, two days a week. But but this is what I mean. It's like someone who's been there and done it at a at a good level and it has a completely different perspective to Mikel and can just be like, here's how I see it. It's it's interesting, like we were talking over WhatsApp, weren't we, about like how working in other fields, you begin to recognise there's certain principles that apply in all sorts of fields. And actually like I I um I'm sure people know now, but by now I work as an actor, and one of the favourite perspectives that I have when I've been in a show or something, it's asking my sister. My sister, God love her, she won't listen to this. She has no fucking clue, like not a clue what about what's going on. So she, sometimes she's like, I couldn't, I didn't know why the lights were doing that. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, the lights, they were doing that thing where they were like, and I was like, oh yeah. And I would never, ever consider it, but because she's just got a completely different perspective. I'm not suggesting you get Georgia Moneypenny in on, on the Mikel Arteta's coaching team. But what I am suggesting is, is, is what you say is, is, is having someone with the gravitas, with the, with the experience level, with the requisite knowledge and passion to be able to challenge. And I agree, I agree on Michael Edwards, my, my romantic, the romantic in me is saying we get Wenger back on the board. And is that a, but you know, it's a, is that a backward step or I, I don't know, but, but I, I wonder whether there's something 
something else Different in our podcast because you're not going to hear yeah. a lot of you're not going to hear a lot of arguments from me <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um let's shift forward uh just I'm, I'm conscious of time um gabriel jesus uh charles watts has tweeted or he's put a, a, an article out uh, gabriel jesus has returned to arsenal to step up step i'll just go learn how to speak and i'll, I'll come back hang on I'm back. To learn how to talk. Uh, Gabriel Jesus has returned to Arsenal to step up his recovery following surgery on a knee issue in December. Uh, he underwent surgery in London before Christmas and has been slowly working his way back to fitness ever since with the forward now walking without the need for crutches or a knee brace. There's pictures of him in... Um, what's the word? You were talking about it on the group chat earlier. A tank? Would you call it hydrotherapy? That's that's the word hydrotherapy. Um, yeah, yeah. Doing some hydrotherapy. Even just the pool. Um, yeah, it's probably just a whirlpool. Yeah, yeah. He was swimming. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sometimes I see people on Twitter, and they like to tr- in the attempt to sound intelligent, they'll like say they'll like use just the most amount of words. And you're like, what you meant to say was he passed the ball. He used the yeah, friction. So there was aquatic maneuvers. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. You can see the trilateral quadricep extending out into its, <laughs> the vulva of the great mind. You're just like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. He passed the ball. It's fine to say that. There was a, yeah, yeah, there's a two to one ratio of his torso length, which gets him a lot of ball striking. Up yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ball strike is my favorite one. Who's that guy who just says elite about every single player? Uh, EBL something. That's the I guy. That's the guy. He could yeah, be an elite yeah. player, not every single player. Everyone. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, it's, it's good news about Jesus. Um, Hmm. I suppose the, the question is, what do you do with Enketia and Jesus, um, and how do we how do we manage that? That's not you know that's going to be a question for the first game he's back because these things are always going to shift and whether it's injuries or form or dynamics or whatever. But right now I'm what, okay. What's like the to do list for this week in in terms of training? Our left hand side dynamic needs some help. Um, I think Jesus would help that. I think Foller and Balogun would help that, by the way. Um, uh, yeah, I I would be tempted to stick him back in, even if that wasn't a particularly popular decision. Um, uh, it's going to be popular with me um, because I feel when I'm really diagnosing the team right now, um, what do I need? And what did I need from Everton? It was the first game Arsenal were outworked in the season. I don't like that. Is that a shock um, in terms of am I worried? No, it's one game, but it's definitely something that has not been our success this season. Um, what else do we need? Tempo in possession. I feel that the possession was too slow. Um, what do I not like to see? Granite Shaka not having an excellent performance with dynamic running. I thought he was very stiff at Everton. Why is it? Why is it that he's stiff? Because we've seen him all season not be. Um, you know, Gabriel Martinelli, we talked about it ourselves kind of in the instant reaction. It felt like he wasn't getting the ball quick enough from teammates and he was running himself into blind alleys. We've seen him be dynamically fluid all season. What is the issue with that? Ben White, another one who traditionally has been excellent this season, has been subpar not just from the Everton game, but in the last couple games. So when I look at the team, what does it need? It needs a little bit more gas pedal. And to me, whether that's Gabriel Jesus, whether that's an Emile Smith-Rowe, whether that's somebody even like a Trossard, by the way, these are players that I look at that on the half turn and in 
um, kind of in tight spaces can accelerate play a little bit more. And I need that invention because right now what I'm seeing is a little bit too much structure. And one of the biggest things that I felt that Arsenal and City were really quite different in is the fluidity of our attack. Um, I think there was a stat um, going around um, with our wonderful friend, I'm sure Aaron from Football London, that kind of had a look at progressive carries as well um, as, you know, progressive running. And, you know, we had all three of our players, bar Jesus, who was just on the line, but that's injury permitting. All three players were in the elite category for progressing. And I think that's really important to what's made Arsenal successful this season. So for me, as much as Eddie Nketiah might currently, and I'm going to say currently because I do think Jesus was on poor form in front of goal, um, was the better and is maybe the better goal scorer, I think what Jesus gives you in terms of movement off the ball um, is just incredible for other players. And I think his involvement as a cog of part of the whole changes the team a little bit more than maybe um, the tip of the arrow being a little bit sharper, let's say, with an Eddie Nketiah. So for me... I really feel that Gabriel Jesus, we need him back, um, even in Emile Smith-Rowe. We need that dynamic running option that can receive central because I don't think that teams are going to look at Arsenal and say, yeah, we shouldn't pack the center anymore with this team. It's clearly worked. It's something that we're going to face quite clearly. So we need to anticipate the solutions to that problem. And for me, Jesus is one of many who fit that profile that could. Just having a look at whether Jesus played against Brentford, and he did. And we also, we were without Erdegaard and Zinchenko that day, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I really do hear you. And I think the, the big thing that stands out from, to me from that is is that is that progression and is that that injection, that injection of something. It's it's kind of, I, I suppose in simple terms, it's, it's just got a bit stale, that sort of Saka Martinelli and Katia. It's just got a little bit simple. Um, I feel like it needs something. Predictable, yeah. I'll be honest. Hot take. Don't see Jesus as our long-term centre-forward. Just don't. Poss- like, maybe he will be. Like, I, I don't know. But I, I can't see him... Let's let's say I can't see him starting every single game at us for centre forward next at centre forward next season. I think we'll try and do something. Maybe not even next summer. Possibly the summer after. But I just don't see Jesus as our centre forward for the next. Let's say into season twenty four twenty five. I just I can't see it happening. Um, if he sticks around, um, I think there's a part of the the part of the reason I love Jesus is, is his ability to receive and in terms of in in the wide areas, his ability to take those balls down from. White and Zinchenko, uh, often white on that left-hand side as he loves to drift out. And the interchanges with Martinelli, I think Martinelli really thrives when he's allowed a, a little bit more space, when he's allowed off that touchline. Um, and yeah, just uh, there's an injection there that just isn't quite there. I wouldn't mind seeing Nketiah in the middle, Jesus on the right and Martinelli on the left at some point in the game if Saka's getting hasn't had a great game or is being doubled or tripled up upon again. You know, I'm interested in seeing. Uh, obviously, we won't we won't see him for um for Brentford, sorry, but uh, you know, in the future, um, yeah, I I just feel unless Eddie and Ketty, you know, goes out and hits a hat trick and we're sat here eating our words, I just feel Jesus has won the Premier League how many times? We signed him for a reason, you know. It's, it's and it's great that we've got Enketi here, and the 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 sort of the um, what's the word? The the thing that pulling the thing that's pulling me back is the the uh, the the word meritocracy, and I would love Arsenal to be a meritocracy, and I would love it to be that in, when Inketi is playing well, he starts. If he's not done anything wrong to lose the to lose the shirt, then he starts. But he hasn't been amazing, and I think in normal situations you might 
you might show a bit more faith. You might just be like, well, this is, you know, we, we're sticking with him and we're sticking through this this patch. But we, if we do get him, Jesus, back soon, I, I don't think it'll be in the next couple of game weeks, but hopefully a little bit after that. I, yeah, I just feel like it's the safer option and it's possibly what this team needs. Well, you know what? Just really quickly, um, I, I know we probably don't want to go over Everton because that's hallowed ground. But, you know, I, I really... I had to think about what other team has really done this to us besides Newcastle. And it really came back to Scott Parker's Bournemouth, ironically. They weren't able to perform the game plan very well, but they did this game plan. And what was different? It was Gabriel Jesus dropping in that half space, combining yeah. with Martin Odegaard. Right at Beating 46 That's what players. it was. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And look, that's always well and good about the dribbling, but you know what it was? I had look at some screenshots and some play in the first half in particular, and I just thought, God, the ref is in such great positions for us. If we had a striker, oh wait, Eddie's there, but he's all on the center backs there. We've got a striker that I know will fill that spot. And you know, it wasn't just one or two points in the match, and I just feel there was enough uh, scope um, to say, look, Eddie, I needed you to drop deep, mate. Like, it wasn't working. Um you know, and I think you going one on one with their center backs wasn't the the idea that we needed to do. We needed you to drop deep and offer yourself as an option. And when you don't, um, I had this debate in group chats where I just feel like, look, there is a tactic part of something, and then there's also you need as a player to find solutions on the pitch. And I do think that Gabby Jesus, for as frustrating as he can be in front of goal, there is an air of unpredictability and chaos that he brings as a player. And that comes from his ability to inject pace, to really do that gas pedal thing where he goes, turns quickly, um, tight feet, and just without thinking will take on three or four players. Now, do I want that all the time? No, there needs to be a little bit of organized chaos in here. But right now, we just have the organization, no chaos. And when you have just the chaos and no organization, that's not good. We need the myriad. And right now, I don't think we're striking that balance. Striking. <laughs> yep, oh, I agree. <laughs> I completely agree. Before we finish, let's move on to Brentford quickly. Um, what I will say is if their defence are as unresponsive as their fan accounts that I'm trying to get on for a preview pod, we're in for a fucking field day, mate. Honestly, a message about 16 of them. No one's got back to me. Um, yeah. Uh, hesitate to be confident about this because I can't really... I, I'm looking at the scoreline of the ROA game and you're sort of going, okay, 3-0 away, you know, they're, what are they, they're ninth at home, should be, it's not It's not going to be a walk in the park, no game in the Premier League is a walk in the park, as the cliche goes, but, you know, we were bringing on fucking schoolboys at the end of last game. Um, so, you know, it feels like we've got some kind of, you know, Arteta's got a plan for you. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really, I don't know how to approach this game. Because it doesn't feel... Okay, look, yeah, I'm going to go with the negatives first so that the listeners can hear the positives when I say it. I've always been told that's the way to go. Uh, look, Brentford, um, incredible run of form, by the way. I've not lost a game in the last nine. I don't know if people know. They've got five wins, four draws in the last nine games. Um, they're a team that is phenomenal during attacking set pieces. We are a team that has shown a little bit of vulnerability um, in the defensive part of our set pieces, I should say. Um and only recently, because we're probably one of the best defensive set-piece teams in the league. So in theory, we should combat this quite well. But we have just been undone by a dice uh, back post ball um, quite a bit. So I'm not feeling loving that idea. I think Nicholas Yover needs to have a rethink about some things there. But um, Brentford themselves, they are a team 
that I have a lot of respect for. They actually are my B team. I love the way that they approach football modern-wise. Thomas Frank, I think, and Josh De Silva has been so important having him fit and firing back. Um, but when you have a look at this Brentford team, um, I really just think that us being at home is going to be massive for what this team needs right now. When you talk about um, the team looking a little bit stale and Barr obviously having our injured players back to offer that injection, right now, fundamentally, we need to find solutions with what we have. And one of the biggest things I think we have in our locker is this home support. Um, don't want it to go into soft factor kind of wise, but I think if we yeah. approach the game, same, well, I look, May, I think passion is part of it. And I think that the atmosphere at the Emirates is just electric lately. Um, I don't know how many people try, try to find tickets, but everywhere I hear, and of course I'm here in lonely Canada, I can't do it, but I hear it's impossible to get tickets. Um, and that's because I think the fans sent something. And I really do feel that these next six games, we've got four home games. And that's going to be a factor in our ability to get out of this rut. And I think um, fans respond to a press. And I need us to go. Um, we needed this kind of jolt for me, to be honest with you, mate. Because I feel as though um, everybody gets a question in a title race. No matter who you are and whatever, however clear you are, there's a point in the season you get challenged. Um, that could be long. It could be short. I hope that this was the wake-up call that was needed because, again, it was the only team in the season to outwork us. That's unacceptable for me. I don't like seeing that. If we go back to the fundamentals about outworking our opponents, having an increase in tempo, and making sure that our press, especially 1v1, is there, I don't see many teams that can live with us, particularly at the Emirates that we know the crowd is behind us and they will respond to that kind of pressure. I feel that we do that. I think we're in for a fairly, again, easy is the wrong word, but a fairly routine performance, I will say, if we do those things. Now, look, if we don't respect the fundamentals, Brentford are a team that can hurt us. Like I said, very good on set pieces. We've shown an immediate recency bias, maybe, but poor um, response to set pieces. And of course, they are a team that themselves have a very good mid-block in theory, but they are a team that do struggle a little bit more away from home than they do at home. Um... So that could play into our hands. And I and I just do think that we will come away with a victory here. Um, and we will respond to the Everton critics too. Yeah, the fundamentals is, is a big thing. Is It's a huge thing. And I remember in that, do you remember that run that we had in the 2021 season where we were just like going down a plug hole towards the end of 2020 um, before that, that Boxing Day game against Chelsea. And I remember being like, I can am being quite angry, but this is this is one of my main principles about you know watching football. I will accept losing on a tactical level. I will accept conceding goals. I will accept um, you know things not going our way on the day. All those sorts of things. Those things can sort of be not necessarily corrected, but those things can be assessed off the pitch. But for those ninety minutes, if you can, if you're not working as hard as you possibly can that is an issue. You're not fulfilling your job. And if I'm seeing players jogging around as I was, then that is an issue. And that's a, and that's something we need, we need to fix. And I'm not saying we were jogging around against Everton. I think that's unfair, but you know, if we can't motivate ourselves for a game at the Emirates against a mid table team with the opportunity to, you know, take advantage of that, that uh, slip up by, by Man City with Brentford, with not necessarily nothing to play for, but you know, okay, there might be an outside shot of Europe, but they're not looking odds on for it necessarily. I just think that's a shame. 
<laughs> so I, I and I and I don't and I don't think yeah. I don't yeah. think that's the case. I don't think that's the team that we are. I've got a doubt in my mind because of that Everton game, but that can't be the team we are. And if it is, if you know, if we if we're sort of putting in a lethargic performance, we're not coming out bang um, uh, from right from the start. Then that is yeah, that's a concern. Well, you're talking about a team that is the best starting team in the Premier League. We need to act like it. I mean, like we are, you know, the best team um, in the first, you know, 20 minutes um, this season. Now we need to act that way. We need to capitalize on our opportunities there. And and like you said, I've I've always feared when people ask me, George, title challenge, and I keep saying, wait till March, wait till March. People get frustrated at me for saying that, but it's because I keep saying I think it's very different um, being the leader and knowing you're the leader versus us maybe for the first six months, surprising teams. And I know that's harsh to no, say, given our consistency, but we've played everybody once now. Um, and it's a very different prospect understanding, look, this is Arsenal team leaders playing an amazing press and the best way. We didn't know that they could do this, by the way, um, but they have now and we're prepared for it. It's a very different prospect doing that. Now, does that mean Arsenal are doomed and they're not going to be able to compete with that pressure? No, of course they can. Um, but we also have to understand it's a different type of pressure it's a different type of game and a different type of environment now a lot of things will be answered here but again just do the fundamentals to what has got you to that point in the season the press make sure that it's intense win your individual battles and make sure that the, the, the tempo kind of of the ball is quick Ben White mate get rid of it the one time that you had a ball over the top to Saka versus Everton resulted in our best chance of the match and you know I didn't see you doing that enough. We know it's in your locker, mate. You got to do it. Granit Xhaka, you've been making dynamic balls or runs, sorry, off the ball the entirety of this season. Get back to doing that. We don't need you deep constantly. We don't need you hiding behind an eight option. Um, you know, th- these kind of things are what can change the tide. And they're very little tweaks. And it's basically saying, look, boys, believe your hype a little bit, but don't let it get to your head. Uh, and that's the fine balance that you have to do. And look, I, I think that the press conference from Mikel Arteta, um, even though his words said, I love these boys, his face said a completely different thing. And I really do think that he laid into them, rightly so. And I and I think we needed that. It, it is more of a wake-up call for me. I think I'll take more notice if we find Brentford out fighting us at home. Uh, that will worry me. Two games on the bounce um, with two teams that we should be beating. Um you know, outworking us, I'll be afraid. If we lose, I'm not going to be afraid as long as we outwork them. That is my minimal thing right now because I feel that the press is what has got us to be first in the Premier League and only that. I, I don't think that it's something else. The press is our special sauce. So if you don't do those things, then um, we're going to struggle to be uh, to replicate the form that we did the first half of the season now. Yeah, and I think, you know, we have one of the best coached teams certainly in the league and possibly in the world and if you you know it's all very well saying you know work harder run more but if you're just running around for for you know for argument's sake then there's no point but we are we are running with intensity and purpose and we have seen that so yeah as you say if we don't do that uh that's concerning so what you're saying really is we're going to win the league that's that's sort i heard that i heard you say that listen if you didn't hear that you must be deaf because you know i just <laughs> said we're the clear front runners there's nothing to worry about. And, you know, it's basically wrapped up in February, you know. Yep. Um, book your tickets for the party. But, no, like, in all seriousness, the slogan, and I hate using it, but it's got to be said. Um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Oh, um, he's coming out and, with all of know, these 
these just like bu- car bumper sticker sort of stuff today. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you just you got you got to respect that. And I would I would slap up a believe sign on the dressing room just like Ted Lasso. Make sure to hit it. Um, and you know, I think that's the that's the crux. We don't need a light bulb, Mikel. Just stick yeah. up that belief side, and you're good to go, <laughs> mate. Yeah, listen, hard work beats talent. What was your one earlier? I still can't remember it. Greed, crime, crime is greed. Whatever it was, greed, greed, greed is crime, and crime is greed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Live, laugh, love. Anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm done. I, I, I had my instant moment. <laughs> remember, guys, if you can dream it, you can do it. George, <laughs> it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. It's I can't wait to have you on uh, the instant reaction before introducing you to our lovely main podcast listeners. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and yeah, it's a joy. Uh, listeners, no, thank you so much. Mate. Listeners, thank you so much for being here. We love you so much, patrons. Thank you for listening. Keep a different knock, and we'll see you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at DiffKnock. Thanks. Podcast Network.